Hello, and welcome to Season 20 of the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Haley Barton. You know, we've been on a break, and I've missed you all. I've missed being on the podcast, and I'm really, really excited to be back with all of you after we've taken our break. And I hope your summer went well and that you're ready for the fall season. I am very excited in this season 20 to be welcoming Rory Nolan talking about his book, Transforming Worship, and we have been friends and colleagues for well over 20 years, and so we're going to be talking out of our own experience together as we look at this topic of transforming worship, which is really important to us here in the Transforming Center, and we also believe that it's really, really important to the church to look at worship through the lens of how can our worship be transformational. Welcome, Rory. It's so good to be with you. <laughs> Thank you, Ruth. So good to be with you. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Should be fun. Yeah. It it feels like this has been a long time coming, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 So the, it it's is. the Kairos moment. It's the fullness in time for you and I to have this conversation with our podcast listeners. Yeah. Rory is the director of Heart of the Artist Ministry, an organization dedicated to serving artists in the church. He mentors worship leaders, speaks at churches and conferences, and leads retreats for artists, and also consults with churches in the area of worship and the arts. Uh, Rory is a trained spiritual director. Uh, he's a published songwriter. And in fact, um, as you may hear, I hope we touch on these things. Rory, when he was serving as our worship leader in the Transforming Center, he composed, was it 14 or 15 new compositions Something like that God that. gave you for us? And I hope we talk a little bit about how some of those songs emerged in the context of our life together in community. He's written several books for artists and worship leaders, including The Heart of the Artist, a character-building guide for you and your ministry team. Rory also has a doctoral degree from the Robert E. Weber Institute for Worship Studies. Uh, he was a part of Transforming Community, too. And then it was after that that we added uh, some of the worship elements that uh, he uh, was passionate about. And so we'll talk about our story. That's actually where we're going to begin, is talking about our story in seeing transforming worship emerge in the transforming center and how we worked in that area together for 15 years so finally i just want to say that rory is the author of the book transforming worship and i was privileged to write the forward to that book we were really in touch and tight around the publication of this book and i was so excited when Rory felt like he would be able to write and publish on this theme. So we're going to actually use some of the themes in that book to structure our conversation and very much looking forward to what's going to happen between us and with our guests, too. We're going to have some guests as we go. Rory's going to be with us the whole time, but then we'll be welcoming some guests into our conversations as well. So it's going to be a very exciting season. Well, Rory, I want to get started by just talking about our story a little bit. And our story actually comes start you know, starts before the Transforming Center because we were on staff together at that tiny little church in South Barrington, Illinois that some of us are familiar with. And you had been on staff there for over 20 years, correct, at Willow Creek? Yes. yes. I was part of the original youth group and mm -hmm. then served as the music director for right. about 20 years. And you did yeah. a lot of composition there too, didn't you? Like songs like... Well, He's Able. He you is know, Able, yeah. yes. You, yeah. you authored that and other songs too. And so there are songs that people are familiar with that you actually wrote and brought uh, in that setting. And our connection happened, I think, when we were on a trip to Israel, right? With some of the staff from Willow Creek. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's 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 when I cornered you at the 
The back of the bus. <laughs> yeah, the back of the bus. And, oh, that was a great trip, and I have such amazing memories of that trip. But that's one of them is that you and I connected around our shared passion for formation, and we weren't sure where and how to process that in, in that setting. And so to find yeah. each other was really, really, really thrilling at that point. Well, yeah, and I I was really intrigued by this whole di- mm. uh, whole idea of spiritual formation that you were talking about. You were spearheading this, and mm. so – yeah, I cornered you in the back of the bus, and I said, so what is the spiritual formation stuff? <laughs> yes, and I think we had several really significant conversations on that trip where we just kept coming back around to it yeah. and continuing the conversation. And then another moment I remember for us was that you called me up at one point and said, hey, I'm thinking about this program. What do you think of it? And I said, well, we have this little thing called the Transforming Community. I wonder if you'd be interested in that. So our gain was somebody else's loss because you decided to jump in with the Transforming Center. And we were in the very early days, like it was Transforming Community 2. And I think we only had 25 people in that community. And at that time, we had facilitators for each of the small groups. And so you were in my group. And we really got to know each other then in a, in a journeying sort of way because we were together regularly then through that two-year experience. So maybe say a little bit about what it was like for you to be in that first Transforming Community. The thing that I kept coming back to, actually, I, the sessions, the teaching sessions, I loved. And, of course, I was familiar with, with your books. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they just took it the next step. But it was those worship times mm-hmm. that we had together. And I, and there was no music at, mm-hmm. at that time. It was just liturgy. But God spoke to me, mm-hmm. <laughs> so many of those. And I just remember going through each one and actually, you know, we spend a whole block of time in solitude, and then and then we pray together. And it just seemed like every retreat, God would speak to me in those times together. There's something that happened yeah. for me. And what was going on for me was that, yeah, those prayer services, like there are two things that really define the transforming community experience. One is the four hours in solitude that you just mentioned that we have on the second day. And then the second one is our fixed hour prayer services. And we pray eight times in those very simple little services on every single retreat. And those two things are things that we've been practicing since the first time we were together in the little group that founded the Transforming Center. So it doesn't surprise me at all that that was, you know, one of the more meaningful aspects of it. But then we have this thing in the Transforming Center where, you know, we invite leaders to come and leaders, it's, you know, our communities are made up of leaders and influencers and pastors, and we try to give them a lot of anonymity during their first experience. And so obviously I knew who you were. I knew what an accomplished worship leader you were and what an accomplished musician you were and a composer. But because of the discipline that we have and the commitment that we have, I didn't even touch talking about worship with you. I just left you alone in terms of your vocational calling and all that I knew about your giftedness. It took a lot of discipline. But I think the very day that you finished your two-year experience, I approached you and I said, hey, do you have any vision for music, you know, to add music? Because as you said, we didn't have any music at that point. And you said, well, yeah, actually I do. And that was the beginning. Do you remember that moment? Oh, yeah. Well, it was so funny because and I don't know if it, the experiences were so meaningful to me because they were so different mm-hmm. from what I was used to. Mm-hmm. I think that was part of it. But as I started to, you know, towards the end of the uh, of the community experience, I started to think, boy, it'd be kind of neat to add some music here and like a song here to just kind of allow us to sit in this moment a little mm-hmm. longer and maybe extend this moment a little bit. 
maybe to coincide with this. And uh, so when you did ask me, mm-hmm. I had just started mm-hmm. beginning. Oh, yeah, I was just kind of starting to think about that, oh. as, as a matter of fact. Yeah. And I remember just being so thrilled that someone of your stature in the, wor- in the world of worship and music would say yes and would have a vision, something unique that you wanted to bring. And so really so much of what's happened in the Transforming Center has been organic like that. Nothing, I, I don't strategically like tap people to have them come in as much as we let it grow from our experience together in community. And I think that's why it's felt so authentic all the way along is that it came out of a relationship. It came out of a journey together in community. It came out of something God was doing in your heart and our hearts and and it and so it is unique in that way because it came out in this unique experience of community together and i will say that i look back on my life in vocation and one of the most surprising and wonderful aspects of my life in ministry has been getting to work with you for 15 years in the area of transforming worship it's one of those things that you never expect something that wonderful to happen to you and it happened to me i got to work with you for 15 years and out of our friendship and out of our commitment to one another in, in covenant community. Yeah. Yeah. So it, was fun. It, it really was. And, you know, your imprint on Transforming Worship is there to this day because so many of the songs that God gave you, and this is something I want to talk about in terms of the organic nature of it all, is that as you and I really jumped into planning worship together, which we did, I mean, we would spend, you know, a couple hours before each retreat. And then there would be these moments in our retreats that already existed where I felt like we needed a piece of music. We need something musically to unify us or to bring us from one place to another. And I remember a couple specific places. One was after the four hours in solitude when we were coming out into evening prayer. And I said, Rory, could could you think of any sort of musical element that could bring us from solitude back into community and back into words and that would mark four hours of solitude, you know, that would really help us come out of four hours of solitude. And what happened after that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Having experienced those blocks of solitude Mm -hmm. in such a meaningful way, it was pretty easy for me to write something, you know, that came out of that. The Lord is in our midst. And uh, yeah, I mean, that I think was the overall um, impression I just actually got just after every block of solitude is like, the Lord is really here. The Lord spoke to me. So it's kind of a reflection of that. I love what you're saying about you know, how organic it is mm-hmm. because we also started using music from Taze. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I had the privilege of actually visiting Taze just, I think, the summer after, you know, we started working together. And um, I was familiar with Taze music, mm-hmm. but I wasn't familiar with the Taze experience. Mm-hmm. And it really taught me, it's like, oh, you, you can't understand the music unless you understand the experience. Yes. Made me realize that the music came out of the experience. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what we're talking about happening with the transforming sentence, yes. that the music comes out of the experience. Yeah. And that's kind of how 
this whole organic thing kind of really materialized musically. Right. And that's why the songs fit the moment so well, is right. because they came for the moment. They came for a right. moment that we shared together over and over. Another one that was just gorgeous in terms of how it came out was our retreat on uh, Scripture, where we offer the experience of Lexio Divina. And I said, you know, Rory, is there music that could help us move into Alexio? There's a specific moment on the retreat in a night prayer service where we enter into Alexio experience. And the scripture that we used to enter into that is the little boy Samuel and how he was hearing from the Lord, but he didn't recognize the Lord's voice. And so he asks Eli, the priest, and the priest says, you know, the next time you hear that voice, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So that's the teaching piece. That's the biblical thing. It's the experience that we're offering is Lexio Divina. And I said, Rory, is there any song that could help us get into Lexio Divina? And God gave you that incredible song, Speak, oh God. That was another moment that just gave me chills when God gave you that song, you know, for us. Speak, oh God, in your presence I am humbly bowed. Speak, oh God, I am longing for. Uh, what was that one like for you? Very similar, actually. Mm-hmm where uh, it was kind of easy for me to go there because we had done Lexio Divina before. Mm-hmm. So it, like I was just a rookie at it. So, so I had experienced mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So I think that is the posture at the beginning. And actually through is like, God, I just want you to speak to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. and I'm just learning, you know, for a, a word from you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's kind of the hard cry during Lexio Divina as you know, for those of us that are on the receiving end. Yeah. Well, I really could go on and on because New Every Morning was one that God gave you for the morning after we've been silent all night. New Every Morning is your love, O oh Lord. New every morning is your love, O oh Lord. Fresh your compassion daily dawns. New every morning is your mercy and grace. You are faithful. Well, well, that's because the prayer that we say, that we recited along with that just floored me every morning. It's like, what a great prayer. Yeah, because it's right out of a and, psalm. Yeah, yeah. And so let's, I, pardon me sometimes, it's like I want to stand up and go, people, let's not let this go by. It's like, <laughs> right. do you realize what, <laughs> what we're saying? What we're saying here? You know? That's right. Let's, that's let's right. Let's sing about it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, to just allow us to sit in it a little longer. Yeah, and so I think, you know, what I'm what I'm getting to revisit is just the beauty of the you know, the work to the the work together in seeing these moments emerge. And I I think there's something about this that I as we think about transforming worship, I just I want us to note this organic nature of it, the relational nature of it, the the order of it, where you said, you know, you you have the experience and then the music emerges versus the other way around. And so there's just a lot in in this conversation that has to do with how you would plan, you know, for transforming worship optimally, I think. 
The other thing I wanted to mention about our experience, and our experiences will come and go throughout. We have so many experiences together that I'm looking forward to having those experiences come out in our conversations through the season. But the other thing, as you mentioned to Zay, that I was aware of is that there was a point where we recognized that we wanted to be sitting together in some worship services that would shape, that would maybe give us, you know, more ideas, more shaping. And so we went and we invited others to go with us from the Transforming Center to the Church of the Ascension in Oak Park here in Illinois and went to their Teze services. And that was really enriching for the, you and I, who we were working very hard on our own worship, but then to go together and submit to someone else's leader, it was more than submitting. It was like soaking in it. It was being refreshed ourselves uh, even as we were leading others to go to another service and be shaped by that and refreshed in that and led in that that's another experience that you and I have had that I still really really treasure and how it impacted so you know they do prayer around the cross and there eventually we were courageous enough to say let's try this in the transforming center and we did and people love it I mean so I don't I don't know if you wanted to comment on what that experience was like for you, where we got out of our own leadership and actually let somebody else lead us. Well, it was fun to go to things, go to the Tuesday services together because mm-hmm. we were kind of thinking the same thing as we yeah. experienced. It's like, wow, maybe we could do that yeah. kind of retreat. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a songwriter, too, seeing the songs used in, in an experience, and as a songwriter, been, I was so used to in church world, you're given a topic and, you know, write a, write a song on this topic, you know, to go with the sermon. This is different, though, because this is writing a song for an experience, to enhance an experience. And it's a different way to approach it. And I actually saw that then in Tazay. And it, it was, again, it was very, very helpful to kind of formulate, you know, what, what do we, you know, to kind of get me out of my church, my typical church mm-hmm. world. It's like, what are we talking about? It's really different, but really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think in those services, too, we saw that there was a whole lot less emphasis on information and making sermons and things like that. The whole emphasis was really on the experience of being in a setting where it opened you through experience to an encounter with God, Yeah. Um, which I think for you and I, that would in many ways define transforming worship is that it's a worship that that opens you to the encounter and it's the encounter with God that transforms. We'd like to take a break for a moment from our conversation and invite you to consider Transforming Community 20, which is now on the books beginning in April. And if you've been sitting here listening to this conversation about transforming worship and thinking, wow, I would really like to experience some of what they're talking about TC20 is for you. We really do experience these things regularly and routinely on our retreats and in our Transforming Community context. And we would love to have you. So if you're interested in Transforming Community 20, go to transformingcenter.org to learn more and apply. When you apply, you can use Podcast 20 as a code to take $50 off your application fee. And now back to our conversation. Well, like I said, our stories will come and go and weave throughout this whole season. But let's talk now a little bit about transforming worship more than just giving these examples. Let's do a little bit of definitional work uh, as we lay the foundation for this season. Rory, how do you define, let's talk a little bit about your definition of transforming worship and how we've experienced the actual thing of it together. 
Yeah. You know, we threw the that topic around, you know, transforming mm-hmm. worship. And with the book, I decided let's let's define it. Mm-hmm. You know, what are we talking about here? So I define transforming worship as a communal experience that combines classic spiritual practices with a formative encounter with God in Christ through the Holy Spirit. So just to unpack a little bit of that and notice is, first of all, it's something we do in the company of others. It's the beauty of the retreats and being in community. It's also highly experiential and highly participatory. And we're not spectators. We are participants. And so, and so transforming worship, the idea, it draws from traditional Christian disciplines such as prayer, mm-hmm. scripture reading, confession, Lord's Supper, baptism. And the assumption here is that every part of the service, not just the sermon, can be spiritually formative. Mm-hmm. And at the heart of this wonderful experience that we call church is a life-giving encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's kind of mm-hmm. it in a nutshell. Yeah. I really like the Trinitarian aspect of your definition. I I think that's absolutely essential. And many traditions emphasize one part of the Trinity or another, sometimes even to the exclusion of another part of the Trinity. And so I really love the Trinitarian nature of that definition. And I would think in particular that the emphasis on the Holy Spirit would be really significant in transforming worship because we're trying to find a way to open to the real presence of Jesus, but that gets mediated to us here through the Holy Spirit. So if you can't open to the Spirit, if you don't believe in the Holy Spirit, you're going to have trouble with transforming worship. Amen? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the Trinity, is, as we all know, gives mm-hmm. us a fuller picture of, of God. Yeah. And the thing that's really good for the, the emphasis on the Holy Spirit for us leaders, <laughs> church leaders, mm-hmm. is it reminds us it's, it's not all about us. It's not all on us in, yeah. in our effort. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And we're going to write books about it. But in mm-hmm. the end, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Yes. Well, and here in the Transforming Center, we define spiritual practices as concrete activities that we can engage in in order to open to the transforming work of God, the work of God that only God can do, which puts transforming worship in the category of a spiritual practice then that helps us to open to the work of God that only God can do through the Holy Spirit. And I love your emphasis on the fact that it's not all about our effort. It is about finding ways to open, right? And and yeah, so planning, exactly. yeah. you know, worship experiences where it, it helps us all open, to me, would be, you know, a really defining characteristic. I wanted to ask you about the word communal in your definition, because I wanted to just ask you if you feel like there's any place that for in our private devotion for transforming worship. Is there a way to incorporate transforming worship into our private devotion? Yeah, by all means. Mm-hmm. I wrote an entire book on mm-hmm. worship as a, practicing worship as a spiritual discipline. It's called Worship on Earth as It Is in mm-hmm. Heaven. The first half of that book is devoted to growing as a private worshiper. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've done workshops on that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm i all in raising the flag for it. Yes. Uh, I mean, some people don't even consider worship a spiritual discipline. <laughs> I know, <laughs> which is shocking. but <laughs> Shocking to me, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying that you, know, you can't experience, you can't experience a transforming worship privately in your devotions, of course. Mm-hmm. I am drawing, though, a line in the sand in favor here of gathered worship yeah. as a communal, uh, you know, as a spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. There are things that happen when we gather together. Mm-hmm. And this is the whole idea, you know, behind the communities is praying together, yeah. is that 
there's something that you you just can't duplicate yes. uh, on your own. And there's something that happens when we gather and, and meet with God that just can't be experienced any other way. Yeah. You know, something that you've taught in our in our midst about, Rory, is the fact that, that the, the relationship between private worship and corporate worship is that you're not coming into a, if you If you're cultivating private worship in your life, you're not coming into the worship service expecting those worship leaders to do all their gyrations and get you all inspired and, and whipped up into a frenzy, right? You're bringing your worshiping. Yeah, it's one way to put it. Um, yeah, would you put it another way? You you might be more, you might be kinder than I am in this moment. Well, I will say that sometimes I have felt in worship services that that's what's happening up front is that they're trying to whip up us all up into a frenzy. And that's how they measure success is whether or not the congregation gets all whipped up, you know, into a frenzy. And sometimes real worship is quieter than that. And it's not yeah. even able to be perceived, but it's still happening. And so I think my, one of the things I've really appreciated in your teachings for us here in the Transforming Center is that you've talked about the connection between the private worship and the corporate worship, that when you're worshiping privately, you're bringing an active, alive, worshiping self into the corporate worship, and you're not counting on everybody up front doing that for you. You know, when you come together, then you all gather together and your worship kind of ignites together, you know, because you're with others who have been worshiping throughout the week, but that you're not expecting the worship leaders to do it. You're actually working with that in your own life and bringing a live active worshiper into the corporate worship environment. And that's where the, the real energy is coming from. It's much more of a co-creation then versus the worship leaders needing to whip us all up into an experience. So I want to talk about that for a minute, the relationship between private worship and corporate worship. Well, one of the reasons I've written so extensively about growing as a private worshiper, mm-hmm. because I believe private worshipers make the best corporate worshipers. Yes, yes. <laughs> and what they do is they they take their private experience of worshiping God to church with them, mm-hmm. and then they take their corporate worship experience of God home with them. Mm-hmm. And so it's a much more fuller, uh, transformationally holistic, I think, uh, you know, discipline in that way. And uh, yeah, when we, you know, as somebody who leads worship, I can always tell people who take this home with them and bring it to church with Mm -hmm. them because they just are just raring to go. Yeah. I know some people are like that, you know, by nature, but you just sense that this is an easy thing for them to worship God because they have, they're worshiping God throughout their week, throughout the week, not just mm-hmm. on Sunday. And that in itself is a discipline, something we have to purpose ourselves to do because we're not, we're used to living for ourselves. Yeah. And uh, practicing worship as a, as a spiritual discipline privately keeps reminding us of, you know, keeps putting us in our place, uh, rightfully so, mm-hmm. and keeps reminding us that it is, it's about God. It's not about me. Yeah. When I'm thinking about Bob Mulholland's statement about the fact that a person can't be outside of community and still be a practicing Christian, just like a coal can't keep burning brightly outside of the fire, you know, it can burn for a while outside of the fire, but it can't burn forever outside of the fire. And that by the coal putting itself back into the fire, it, it burns brightly again, you know, and I think that that really does apply to worship that, yeah, we burn throughout the week, but then we put ourselves back into the community and it ignites us again. 
And it's such a countercultural perspective when Bob said that. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, he's, he's speaking to a culture that is very mm-hmm. our privatized Christianity. Yeah. You know, it's just me and my, I'm independent. I don't need anybody else. That's how we live. And yet that's, that's not great for the, that's not uh, optimal for the Christian life. Yeah. Yeah. I also um, really have appreciated, this is a teaching that all of us here in the Transforming Center remember you giving and it's impactful. And that is where you talked about the fact that transforming worship transcends style and that if we are worshiping privately, then in, in many ways we should be able to go into any style and still find a way to connect to the worship experience. I just love that teaching that you bring. Would you say that for our listeners and tell us a little bit more about your experience worshiping in two different places and still being able to really enter in? Yeah. Well, this is why I say that transforming worship is really not a new idea mm-hmm. and I'm not pushing a style. Uh, it has biblical and historical precedents. It's grounded in a sound theology of worship. And so the principles in the book really apply to all churches, mm-hmm. no matter you know where they're coming from, because they're they're princi- they're biblical principles. And I'm not you know talking about a trend-setting philosophy of worship. Mm-hmm. I'm appealing really to the modern church to return to the biblical version of gathered worship as a formative spiritual practice. Most of us uh, base our view of worship on our experience of it, and so it's mainly our preferences. What I like and, you know, what maybe I'm used to, what I'm comfortable with. And that's kind of the language that most of our discussions on worship is couched in. And, you know, we go home, how, how did you like the sermon? Mm-hmm. How, how, how did you like the worship? Very consumeristic approach to church, yeah. you know, just like our culture. So, yeah, when you are practicing private worship and you're focusing uh you know, one of the, the the steps I really you know try to suggest in in uh, kind of defining what that is is to focus on the attributes of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, if you're focusing on the attributes of God, you can experience uh, worship in different settings. And the story that you're alluding to mm-hmm. several years ago, I was invited to to speak at a, a venue in Indianapolis. And you know, probably like you, sometimes I don't always know who's going to be in the, the audience and who's going to be there, who I'm speaking to, you know, some kind of vague idea. So I walk in the room and I'm middle-aged at the time, some time ago, but um, I was looking around going, wow, I am the youngest one here. Oh. <laughs> and, and I'm noticing, you know, all of this, noticing the music is a much older style, you know, than I, you know, an old gospel kind of a style. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of grooving with this. And, mm-hmm. But I, I see the lyrics up on the screen, and I'm like, oh, these are such great lyrics. And there were mm-hmm. attributes of God that were just jumping out at me. And I'm going, yes, God, you are loving, and you, you are mm-hmm. merciful, and you are just. And, yeah, yeah, yeah I was, and I felt like I was, I was led to worship. Mm-hmm. Two days later, I was in a completely different venue. It was a college-age setting, and um, so there was a lot of loud music and a lot of jumping around. And the worship leaders, though, I knew they they loved the Lord. And then I saw the lyrics come up on the screen. Mm. And these are heartfelt lyrics, again, focusing on the attributes of God. And they weren't, you know, self-centered, as we're seeing a little bit now these days, (laughs) or on God. 
And I thought, wow, okay. Yeah, and I was led in worship, mm. as able to worship. And two different uh, venues, two different uh, uh, you know, environments, two completely different styles of music, neither of which mm. were really my cup of tea. But I was able to worship because I was focused not on the preferences or the style, but on the on God, on yeah. the attributes mm-hmm. of God. And we talk about focusing on God. What does that mean? Well, start with focusing on the attributes of God mm-hmm. and you know, be drawn into those and find a couple of those to latch on to as you sing or as you pray. Yeah. And it strikes me as you're saying that, Rory, that that's a mature worshiper, that the fact that you were able to engage both these very different experiences was because you were a mature worshiper, not expecting it all to come from the worship leaders, not expecting it to have anything to do with style, but coming from your own knowledge of how to worship and a willingness to engage based on your ongoing worship uh, even privately, that's what you're bringing, and your spiritual maturity is what you are bringing, so you are able to allow your worship experience to transcend all those external factors, environment, style, age, all of that. And I I long for that to be a part of what happens in the church, is that people are deepening and maturing in their own worship life so that they bring their mature worshiping self to the congregation when it gathers and not relying on it to be done for you, but coming and joining, you know, the worship that's being offered from a mature place that doesn't reduce it to some of these externals. I, I just think that story is really powerful and, and needed for us right now. Amen. Yeah. So Rory, you know, we're going to bring this episode to a close, but as we do that and, you know, look towards the season as a whole, I'm reminded of the fact that very early in you in your book, you identify the fact that many pastors and leaders are really uncomfortable with the idea of messing with worship. In fact, you have a header that says, thou shalt not mess with worship. And you say, I'm well aware that any talk about making adjustments to Sunday services makes church leaders nervous. Can you tell us why that is briefly and just help us to maybe let our defenses down and deal with our resistance as we get going? We'll talk about this more later in in the season, but maybe you could guide us in getting our defenses lowered just a little bit so that we can enter into this season openly. Yeah. Well, that phrase, thou shalt not worship, actually came out of a conversation. Thou shalt not mess with worship. Thou, thou shalt not mess. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> 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 we fixed that. <laughs> yeah, thou shalt not mess with worship. Actually came out of a conversation that I had with a pastor, and he had hired me as a consultant and to kind of give him some some uh, ideas about next steps for his team, for his worship team. So I just happened to mention s- just a few tweaks with the service mm-hmm. itself. Mm-hmm. And and he said, oh, I can't go there. And uh, I mean, here's a guy who's willing to pay thousands of dollars mm-hmm. to like revamp his entire uh, sound system. And yet he couldn't make little tweaks. And he said, yeah, I just, you know, you don't mess with worship. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I get that sometimes when you you talk to pastors about, you know, even making some suggestions about the service because it's, you know, they don't, they don't want to ruffle any feathers or anything like that. But I really wanted to assure people at the beginning of this book that the changes that I'm suggesting are not going to be huge changes for most of us mm-hmm. because, first of all, we're talking about the five elements that I'm really looking at are the five things we're already doing. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about prayer and the word 
and uh, well, you know, confession of, of some sorts, and the Lord's Supper and baptism. Those are the five main areas that I actually address. And the good news is that we're all doing those. Mm-hmm. So basically, the way I'm going to approach it in the book and uh, is that we're going to look at those to leverage them for the transformative potential mm-hmm. that they have, that they already have. So good news is you're already doing it. And hopefully we're going to find ways for you to actually do it better. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to mess big time with the worship. In fact, I think your congregation is going to thank you because we're going to make it more meaningful. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other thing as a spiritual director, if I was, you know, and I know you're a spiritual director too, but if I was in the presence of someone like that, I would actually ask the question why. And that's what I'd like to encourage our um, listeners also to think about between this episode and the next is why shall we not mess with worship? What, what what's happening in that that we're so defensive about our worship and so protective because there's some sacred cows in there that have to do with traditions and things like that and I would want us to be open to wondering why are we so protective of the way that we worship exactly as we worship why have we allowed these things to become sacred cows how is that preventing us from opening up to some new possibilities so I'd also like to encourage a deeper spiritual reflection between this episode and the next in terms of um, being willing to be self-reflective about why why we are so protective and and sometimes resistant and why our congregation is that way as well because maybe you are but you're recognizing that your congregation is really resistant what's going on there can we get to some of those underlying deeper dynamics that might need to be unveiled you know in order to enter fully into the conversation so there's going to be lots for us to get after in this season and i'm so excited thanks rory what a great conversation and i think we're going to offer up some of those musical elements that we talked about as a way for us to settle into this new season. Thank you. Thank you. The Lord is in our midst. The great and awesome God is here. Let all the earth be silent. Be still, my soul, your Redeemer is near. The great.